Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. scripture that the Uwea son is the Teleo son, is the mature son, and to him is given custody of his father's inheritance. And everything that his father is, is, has, is his, everything his father purposes for him to do in the earth in terms of destiny, will, and function, this son is capable of doing the same. And so it's incumbent upon us all to prioritize the issue of maturity. It's a serious issue that uh, we must not um, diminish nor, nor skirt over. And so we've, we've tracked this for some time now. And so I'm going to attempt to wrap this up in this session and then give an overview of it again on Sunday morning. Um, but we've discussed several characteristics in reference to the more mature son that you, have, you and I have got to exhibit if ever we're going to access the inheritance that is that is due to us. Remember in Psalm, I think it's in Psalm 2, or where the Lord said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now ask of me and I will give to you what? The nations as your inheritance. So inheritance is always deferred so long as you don't have the, the affirmation from God the Father over you that you are my son. And that's not just any son. That is an extremely mature UER son. So the UER son has got the capacity to ask for nations, right? And to ask for the ends of the earth as his possession in the Lord. And in session four in the series, we, 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 we isolated 12 areas of inheritance. Nations were part of that, of, of that package. You and I are given the nations as our inheritance to steward in the Lord. Um, I'm going to go straight into additional characteristics of UEOS, and not the ones we've covered uh, up to this point already. Okay, On Sunday, we left off talking about how the UEOS son is led by the Spirit. And both his deeds and speech are reflective of God, his Father. And... I stress the importance that to be led by the Spirit is to be led by the Word. The Holy Spirit cannot lead you or will not lead you outside of the prescription of the Word of the Lord. That is of paramount importance. And I want to give you additional scriptures to the ones that we did on Sunday. Jesus said, I do nothing except I hear my Father. And He also said, I say nothing unless I hear my Father say it. So he never speaks on his own initiative. He was thoroughly dependent upon his father every step of the way. Although he was the son of God, he did not know all things. He only knew things in terms of what to do as his father would show him. And he would only say things as his father would reveal that to him. 
And so, although he was the son, yes, and the Uwea son, but even at this stage of development, the Uwea son's capacity to know what to do and to know what to say is built upon a thorough dependence upon his father. And so, he never gets to the place where he outgrows dependence upon the father. As mature as he is, in fact, his very maturity is defined by a thorough dependence upon his father. So you never outgrow your need for father, right? You, you, you grow as a you or your son, and this is very important to stress, an indication of your maturity is your dependence upon the Lord, okay? An indication of the fact that you have matured in God is the fact that you can exhibit a dependence upon Him, okay? And this is the mature son that we all want to, to get to. Now, the point that we are stressing is that the Uwea son must be led by the Spirit. And Romans says, for those who are being led by the Spirit, these are what? These are the, the sons of God. So sons of God are defined by the capacity to be led, by the Spirit. And I said to you, the Spirit will not lead you to do something outside or something that will contradict the revelation of God's word no matter how noble the deed is if the father doesn't in other words jesus says i do nothing unless i see my father and hear my father so how do you and i translate that well in the first instance you are given a bible so the spirit will lead you and show you things so you cannot claim to be led in a domain of activity or decision making that contradicts the already revealed will of the father in his, in his word, not so. No matter how noble the deed or the decision, if it violates or contradicts scripture, it's, it's not correct, it's not right. Okay, And so you and I have got to be thoroughly sure that every act, every single act. Now, you know, the you, your son, one thing that I'm fast becoming to learn, he exhibits a consistency in his obedience. Right? He exhibits a, a sameness and a consistency in the thing that he is called to obey. And it's born out of, like I said, dependence on knowing the will of his father. As the father shows him, he will do. As the father unveils to him, he will speak. And he's thoroughly um, focused upon this reality. Nothing I do in terms of behavior or decision is going to ever violate or contradict the fact that I'm thoroughly dependent upon my father. And these things that I do will please him because they, they flow out from him. Right? They flow out from him. So every act of obedience is reflective of what I see my father do. Right? So Jesus wouldn't even do anything or say anything, even no matter how good or noble, unless it emanated from his father. So you and I must develop that. It's a very, very sobering principle, and it's growing in my heart and in my experience now at an alarming rate. I don't want to do nothing that's going to displease my father. I don't want to do nothing that will contradict my father's will. Right? In the first instance, if I claim to be led by the Spirit, the Spirit will, lead, will not lead me to do something that will contradict the already revealed will of the Lord in the in the in the scripture okay and um, 
And so it's very important for us to, to get to grips with these things. Um, there's a verse in Isaiah 50 that I want you to add to your notes. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. Some of you may have it, some of you may not have it. Now it says this, if you don't have it there, then please locate it in, your, in the scriptures. Okay. Just turn to the reference in your Bible. But it says this, it says the following. This is under the point where the Uweos son is led by the Holy Spirit. Point H under Uweos. The, Holy, the Uweos son is led by the Spirit. His deeds and speech are reflective of God, his Father. It's a recent addition, so you may not have it in the note that you have. It's not there, just pencil it in. But it's Isaiah 50 and verse 4, and it's a very special verse. It says this, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the, the, the disciple, or the tongue of the learned. Now, everyone say tongue of the disciple. Now, the tongue of the learned, the, a disciple is one who learns. If you want the, a skilled tongue, the tongue of the disciple, or the tongue of one who is learned it says it is given to you it's a gift the lord god can give you the capacity to speak as one thoroughly trained as one thoroughly learned so the lord god has given me the tongue of the learned he says so that i might know how to sustain the weary one with a with a word right so the world is in weariness in fact the church is in weariness right there's great depression, discouragement that has hit the body of Christ. So if you are, if you are this Uweos, you have got the capacity to speak and to alter the state of weariness in those that are around you. And what does the Lord God do? The Lord God gives you the, the capacity, the capacity to speak. He's given you the tongue of the learned that you might know how to speak, right? given you the capacity to, um, to change the weary state of the one who is listening to you. Right? So when you speak, you alter their weariness. You change the condition of their, of their heart. And it says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. It's a very important verse for you to memorize and to internalize. If you break it up, the gift of the learned tongue is given. It's a gift. The Lord God gives me the tongue of the learned, so I might know how to speak a, everyone say a word. It's a word to him that is weary. The next part's important. It says, morning by morning what does he do to my ear he awakens and stops my ear to what to listen as the learned or to listen as the disciple there are two phrases that are key here speak as the learned and listen as the learned you you cannot speak as the learned until you develop, develop the art of listening as the learned Right? So he's given me the tongue of the learned or the tongue of, this, of the disciple. And it says, morning by morning he awakens my ear to listen as the disciple or to listen as the learned. We cannot speak. Many cannot speak and alter weariness. 
because of the incapacity to hear. Right? If you develop a listening ear, if you develop the place like Jesus said, I only speak the things that I hear my Father. So if I don't hear, I've got no authority to, to speak. So there are weary people around me. If I'm going to speak with learnedness, and this is not intelligence, not eloquence. It is a skill in the spirit um, that the Lord God gives you wise words, fitly spoken in a particular context to alter its state. Right? And let me just say to you, the season that we are now headed into, Thamo uh, alluded to this in a teaching yesterday um, and in conversation last night, that you must develop your capacity to speak. And this is not training. That's not developing your English. It's not developing your eloquence. It's developing your capacity to only speak the things you hear. But you, if you want to speak, you must develop what? A listening ear. The you we are son. Listen carefully. I can speak many things. You could even do many things. But unless the speech and the deeds are reflective of the heavenly father, it's good, but it's not God. Right? You will never accomplish strategic purpose. Okay, so I want to encourage you. You see, this is not fleeting. Because the verse is morning by morning. It's not one morning a week. This is regularity. This is daily. This is life experience. This is an ongoing listening. The man whose ear is trained to, to hear God on a consistent, regular basis. This kind of sun is what we need in the earth today. So I want to encourage you. That's why I stress, I've stressed it the whole of last year, the primacy of the word. Unless you are in the word, you're not going to be led by the spirit. Because he, the spirit, cannot lead you outside of your devotion to the word. Okay? And it's from that basis, the skill of a listening ear will grip you. Okay? I shared testimony with you, I think, in the email um, it was yesterday or the day before, I can't remember. I was woken at 3.30. Um, and I was, I was relatively tired, but I knew God was speaking to me. Right? And I shared with you the word of exhortation from Joseph. Now, that's one, one example of how I heard God. I'm always hearing God. Right? Always. And there are times He speaks, yes, with great regularity. And the occasions he speaks with such profundity, you can't ignore it. For me, it works like this. Even though early in the morning my body is fatigued and your soul tells you carry on sleeping, you even try to do it. But your spirit man is so buoyant, you can't, you can't ignore it and you have to get up. Hmm? Pray, study. Then um, I began to type out the, the, the word of exhortation that I sent to the church. Right? spontaneously i shared the same word on facebook i had 12 inboxes in two hours from people strategic people of how that word was lifeline for that morning critical situations why am i saying this i'm not trying to elevate myself the lord god opened my ear to give me what tongue of the learned why he knew that many people are Weary. So he's given me the tongue of the learned. He wakens my ear when? Morning by morning. So that I might know how to speak or write or type or email or text my message. 
whatever medium you use, because there are people that are weary in Zion that need a word of sustenance. Uh, he gives me a word so that I might know, it says, how to sustain the weary one. You know, and I want to encourage the world is fraught with so much negativity. There's so much, um, even within the kingdom, there, people speak harshly to each other. You know, even in a Facebook post, you can pick up the, the tenure of the speech. You can pick up the frequency. There's some people saying good things, but with the wrong spirit. Right? And I want to encourage you. Remember John 12? We read it on Sunday. We, let, me, let me read the verse to you again. Uh, Jesus said this in John 12, verse 49 and verse 50. And I'm quoting the New International Revised Version. I did not speak of my own, the Father as what? The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Right? It's not just important as to what to say, but how you say truth is very important. So Ephesians would say, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You know, if, if, I, can, if I can impress anything upon you, Cultivate your spirit sensitivity to listen to God. To hear Him. In the last days, Amos says, there will come a famine not of bread, not of water, but a famine of what? Hearing. Not a famine of the word. It says a famine of hearing the word. Okay, that we, we've taught the famine is not the word. The famine is the incapacity to hear. God is always speaking. And it's sad that if we ever come to the place in your life, where you have famine. And let me just say this. You could be in the environment of strong word and hear nothing. You could be in my teachings with, and it's proof. When I see behavior of people, and I think, but you've been with me for so long. Why is this contradiction between what I see in behavior versus what you were exposed to? You know what? That is proof. You were in the environment, but you have not heard. It caught you were, your ears were open to the sound thereof, but you've not internalized the word yet. Hmm? So I want to encourage you. That's why Jesus said, hear and understand. Consistently hear and understand. Um, we, we did about four or five principles on how to hear. Remember in the primacy of the word, how do you receive the word of the Lord? So I want to encourage you. If you're going to be the standard of Jesus... Right? I trust you all read John by now, a few times. That's remarkable. If you, if you track Jesus in John and see how father fixated he was, I do nothing unless he tells me. I say nothing unless I'm hearing. If I'm not hearing, I've got no authority to, to speak. Right? So, you know, we, we minister all the time, those of us who are ministers. You get invited to preach. It's so easy because you've got volumes and volumes of teachings that you developed. It's so easy to say any, meeny, miny, more. Pick one thing out of the, the box and teach that. Right? But I've trained my mind. And Apostle Thalmo has taught me this strongly. I've seen it. I've seen him demonstrated when I accompany him on ministry trips. Out of the vast compendium of truth that he has under his belt in the vault of his spirit, he does not rely on pre-preparedness in terms of notes. But he stands there having it, but is while speaking, listening. And I want to encourage you to develop this capacity. While speaking, listen. 
while teaching, listen. While delivering, listen. Your, your success in this life is going to be your capacity to hear. I want to quote this verse to you again. Earl taught me this verse and he drummed it into my spirit years ago. And that's why I still can quote it verbatim. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned or the tongue of the, of the disciple. So that I might know how to speak a word to him that is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to listen as the disciple. And what the very next verse says? I heard and I was not disobedient. Neither did I turn back. So when you hear, obey. When you hear, obey. Do you still want to be the you we are son? Amen? You still want to be the you we are son? Is this a standard you still subscribe to? Come on church, I need some response. Are you going to be, is this, is this the legacy we leave? Right? You know, I can teach Matthew, Liam, Luke and Ray many things. But my greatest inheritance, I can leave my children. If I can teach them how to listen to father, I've done my, I've done my, my job as a father. At, at the DOA on Wednesday, uh, Mervyn shared a powerful testimony with us concerning his son, who is now married. And uh, I won't go to the details, but the gist of the principle was this. The, 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 the lesson was this. He said, if as a father... I can teach my son, my natural biological son, how to depend on the heavenly father. Then I've done my job because I cannot be always with him 24-7. But if I can teach him to know the father, he's with him all the time. right? And then, so I've done my job as a father. It's a powerful principle there. So I want to encourage you, lead your sons to dependence and the capacity to hear the the heavenly father that's my job as a spiritual father for you as well not so much to be dependent upon me but to, for you to develop intimacy with with the father because so i'm not always there with you I'm not at your workplace when you are when you're faced with a dilemma right i'm not in the vortex of your trial when you're faced with great temptation i'm not my, i'm not there to tell you don't go that way because you're going to fall i'm not there but if you have developed intimacy with him the, the heavenly father and you've cultivated a listening ear you will know the right thing to do consistently amen because you're always here what did jesus say i'm just reminded of the statement now jesus said i always do the things that please you i not sometimes he said i i always do the things that please him this is the mature son the you we are son that we that we want to be Okay. Now, so the you, your son, is led by the Spirit, has a listening ear, and has the capacity of speech to represent his Father. Just a thought and a principle that I want to leave with you. It's, this is point G in your notes if you're following. Uh, that's the new note. The you, your son, overcomes sin. The flesh, self, etc. Demonstrating maturity and his nature as a son of his, of his father. So the Uriah son overcomes sin, the flesh, self. Demonstrating his maturity and his nature as a son of his father. 
two verses in particular are key here. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 7 says, He who overcomes will inherit these things. So who inherits the overcomer? Firstborn son has an inheritance, we said. If you're firstborn, you have access to your inheritance, which is your father, your identity as his son, and a whole range of things. Right? But no inheritance is going to come to the son that does not overcome. Inheritance is specifically given and promised to the one that over, overcomes. So it's incumbent upon us to all overcome. Now I like how this verse reads. Let's read it again. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. And the word son there is Uios. Right? I will be his God or his father. Right? I will be his God and he will be my Uios. So just from the one verse, what does the Uios demonstrate? Come on, talk. He demonstrates overcoming capacity. Right? So the overcomer is the, is the inheritor. You're not going to inherit anything if you haven't demonstrated the fact. Listen carefully. The thing that used to trip me up, the sin that easily beset me last year, I have overcome. I'm on the path to overcoming every obstacle. Right? The Yubio son demonstrates a capacity to overcome everything thrown up against him. Right? So just tell your neighbor you're an overcomer. Your overcoming capacity is key to your maturity. You're literally going to steward nothing in the earth until you overcome that, that, that thing. And Hebrews says two things. It says, seeing that we are rounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside two things. Lay aside the, the weight and the sin that easily trips you up. Right? And you know, I, I'm, I'm alarmed at how by this time in our journey, we are still being tripped up so easily with things which by now we should have been long overcome. It, it's literally alarming to me, right? It's actually scary, right? It's proof that people are not internalizing principles of the, of the word. And let me just say, if you are serious about your inheritance, you will treat these things with great urgency. But if you're dismissive of them, then you choose the quality of life that you prefer based upon your decision. You choose the realm of existence. I, I told you, I don't want to just be born, die, and go to heaven one day. I wasn't born for that purpose. On the earth right now, I want to be a significant role player in stewarding the purposes of my father on the earth. Right? So I don't want to have an ordinary Christian experience for the bulk of God's sons. They are glad they're in the kingdom and going to heaven one day. As long as we're fine, my family is fine, hunky-dory, that's it. But there's a realm beyond that. There's an existence beyond these things, brethren. Right? And I, I want to impress upon you the fact that nations are waiting to be stewarded to the one who's demonstrated his overcoming capacity. You inherit nothing if you don't overcome. And in fact, God says, let's read it again, he who overcomes will inherit these things. And what does God say? I will be his God and he will be my Uios. If ever there's a motivation 
for you to overcome should be this. For God the Father to look at you and say, My son. I, I, I haven't got it. I have it in pencil in my notes. In this, I said, He who overcomes demonstrates whose He is. You demonstrate that you are God's. Right? You demonstrate that you are the mature son. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 and 18 says, Therefore come out from their midst and be separate. Right? The Lord demands separation. And this is not just in terms of company. Because many of you don't keep company with that, with that which is alien to the nature of God. In terms of your associations and those influences, you are circumspect, you are separated. But this is separation, not just from persons, but anything unclean. Even a principle in your mind that you have accommodated that violates God's word. God says separate from that. right? Separate from that. So it says, therefore come out from their midst, be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. God says, I will welcome you. I will draw you into a place of greater intimacy. And I will be a father to you. And you will be sons and daughters to me. Says the Lord God Almighty. Right? I will be a father and you will be sons. You will be uios. You will be mature. So I want to encourage you, brethren. The thing that trips you up, overcome it quickly. Overcome it quickly. So that you can access your inheritance. So you can hear the affirmation of your father. You are mine. I am your, I am your God. I am your father. You are, my, you are my son. I will be a father to you, declares the Lord. Okay. Now let's go on. There's, there's one or two more characteristics of the you, your son, that I want to focus on before we wrap up. It's point J in your note if you're following. The others we've covered, so I don't want to rehearse things um, because we need to move on. But this point is critical. In the scripture, the UER sons are often described in various ways, highlighting certain characteristics associated with maturity. Right? They're described in various ways. Listen carefully. To highlight certain characteristics associated with maturity. Right? You can have an opinion as to where you are in terms of your growth in Sancho. You have a view and an estimation. Right? So if I were to interview each of you personally in my office... Uh, let me just use Lillian as an example. I said, Lillian, where do you think you fit in in all the scheme of this? Where are you? And how serious are you about growing? Right? Lillian might have, and she might give a response. Right? She might say, I think I'm, I'm pydonic. Right? Because of this, this, this. I can't even talk about Niani's cost because I haven't developed strength in the word. Because Nianis Kostan, remember, says he's strong in the word with great regularity and he overcomes the wicked one. Right? Some of us can't even talk about that. Never mind Uios. Right? And so, the point I want to I stress is this. I said to you, it's only the father 
that can validate you as a you your son. No matter how you might feel where you are. He says about Jesus, you are my son in whom I am. Well pleased. Yeah, he says, I will be a father to him and he will be my, my son. And that's an internal unction, right? I want to impress upon you. And on, on Sunday, we're going to do an introspective assessment on all the characteristics. Um, it'll be very profound, so you will be able to see the areas very clearly where you fall short and areas you need to work on, right? Because I guarantee you, in all five stages, there are characteristics you can locate in your life right now. Right? And there are some you fall on, and there are some in each of the five that you, you excel in. Right? Remember Paul says it was God's pleasure, Galatians 1.15, to reveal His Son in me. The Son, you us, is already in you waiting to be revealed. Okay? And what I want to implore us, the characteristics we're going to do now, because in Scripture, the you are Son is described in various characteristics denoting maturity for example for example a son of the kingdom in matthew 13 38 right and remember this was the parable of the wheat and the tares right and at the end of the age they are separated at the harvest remember and um it says the, the wheat these are the what these are the sons of the kingdom and i said to you earlier that the you are son in this context, is not described as a son of a particular man. Not the son of Thamon I do. He's not the son of a house. He's the son of the kingdom. So we have our spiritual fathers we love and we honor and, and, and they teach us the word and grace flows into our lives and they will always be in place. But the goal of spiritual fathering is to lead me into, into mature divine fathering. Right? Into a relationship with my heavenly father. And so when I come into the kingdom and I have my spiritual father, the goal of that is to make me a son of the kingdom. Right? Now, yeah, is, is critical, and we'll do a later series because this is too broad in its parameters to fully discuss here. What really is a son of the kingdom? If you belong to a particular household of faith, headed by a, fa- a father, you relate to that man as your spiritual father in the Lord. Let's use our context. Okay? Some of you here are my sons in the Lord. So you can say, Randolph is my spiritual father. I'm connected to him. I'm connected to the purpose and the mandate of God in him. His priorities and concerns become mine. That's fine. right? And some people even struggle at that level. And Sonship hasn't fully grown for some in terms of the, the, your relationship to the, the local spiritual father. Right? But now this son of the kingdom, his, his span of, of faithfulness and commitment is not relative to his house only. It's now relative to the broader kingdom. Right? Many struggle with faithfulness relative to the house. What next when, we, when the city church starts to gain momentum? And this purpose is now attendant with the, with the city. And we, we're going to demand faithfulness at a higher level. right? To, if we call upon you to express your commitment to God's purposes in Durban. Or even to KwaZulu-Natal or, or South Africa. And I say to you, uh, Crystal, I need you 
to, 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 I need you to be faithful in terms of your finances, your commitment, your attendance at particular meetings that are not directly related to this house. You are my son, but I expect you to be faithful to God's purposes in the broader kingdom. Right? Tall order. Hmm? Brethren, I want you to open your spirits to these things. Right? Recently, Thamo felt constrained to even carry on teaching certain things simply because the environment was not receiving it. I want to encourage you to open your hearts to this reality. You see, if you're linked to me, you're linked to the mandate that I carry. It is broader than this local house. It is far bigger. And we are going to be, that the necessity to now become a son of the kingdom is going to be a, all the more important requirement for everyone in this house. So John Mark is Peter's son in the Lord. First Peter 5 clearly teaches that. John Mark, my son, Peter said. But Paul calls him in 2 Timothy. Bring John Mark for he's profitable to me for ministry. One man's spiritual son is profitable to the mandate of another apostle. So John Mark's mentality is not just Peter and his sphere. right? He's released by Peter to be of benefit to Paul, who had a literal global mandate hanging over his apostleship. If John Mark was Nepios, Pydonic, Technonish, or even Neanish Kosish in his mentality, he would say, no, because I'm your son, that level of responsibility, I know Paul, his global ministry, I know the level of warfare there too. It's too much for me to handle. Remember, he even proved unfaithful in the first missionary journey. He know, let me just say this, if anyone knew the costs attendant with Paul's apostolic mandate, it was this young man. Because on the first journey, he balegged, kicked down, couldn't take the heat. And so now his spiritual father is releasing him in a now more mature state to be of benefit to Paul. And where is Paul at this time? Who knows? Where did Paul write 2 Timothy from? From Rome. He's now at the height of the warfare. Right? Earlier on, he was still starting off. But his, his, his clearest mandate was to get to Caesar. He said, I've got to get to Rome. And the heat is now further intensified. And yet John Mark is sent by his spiritual father, Peter, to be of benefit to Paul's ministry. You know what John Mark is demonstrating? I'm not just a local son, localized in some local context here in Moor Road. The sum total of my mind, my activities, my levels of commitment are not just restricted here. But if ever I'm called upon to fulfill global mandate, I gladly will accede to it. That is where we want to be. I speak prophetically to this house. That is the mandate. That is the expectation of God upon your life. Amen. Tell your neighbor you're a son of the kingdom. You see, maturity and... and the you we are son, thinking, the mindset, is very broad. You see, Colossians says, I think I have in your notes somewhere there, Colossians 1.13. It says that he translated us, what does it say? It's not, it's not, it's not listed there, but I'll quote it to you. He translated us out of the kingdom of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of what? Of his dear son or the son of his Love. Repeat after me. Kingdom, kingdom. Of, his son. of his son. Uios. 
So, kingdom is about, sonship is about the kingdom. And in this verse, in Matthew 13, the Uios is called the son of the kingdom. Even though you have your spiritual father. Amen. So I want to encourage you for your levels of commitment, obedience, faithfulness to go beyond what we do locally. Because there will come an expectation of the Lord. And you know, I love, maybe this is, maybe I'm, I'm being too hard on my expectations of the house. Maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe some people will remain nepios till they go to heaven. You know what Samson said once? He's convinced. Because he was asked the question. Okay, so we all die, go to heaven. Why push then, now, for all of this, these things, when ultimately we all die, go to heaven, and we're all on the same level? You know what his response was? This was at Quobus' church in Botswana. It was a question and answer time. His response was, he's got no solid biblical proof but he is thoroughly convinced that is the reason for the millennium reign of christ on the earth one thousand years for you to demonstrate overcoming in areas you failed in the previous life if you don't do it now you'll do it later if you faithfulness over little now you have rulership over much later he was faithful i'll give him more god says in that next domain. So I'm saying brethren. It's either now or later. Right? And in that. You know those things are mysteries. Apostolic eschatology hasn't even begun. To just uncover. What's the meaning of the millennium then? And what will God's will be? I mean think about it. Why a thousand years? Why a definite time period. Of Christ's rule and reign of the earth. With the saints. What are we going to do here? Right? I really concur with that, that thought, in part. Uh, something resonates within my own spirit. That we'll have the capacity, the opportunity, to work out things we fail to in this life. We will be in the kingdom. It's not, your, your eternal salvation is not at stake. It's not a question, etc. But it will be a season of opportunity, in Sam's words. So tell your neighbor it's either now or never. You will have the opportunity to demonstrate how as a son you can overcome on the earth and demonstrate all the characteristics of maturity that you failed to in the previous, previous phase. I would say, you know, just with that thought in mind, roles and functions in that season are determined now, how you behave now. Roles and functions in that season are determined how you behave now. All the parable of the talents, you're faithful in little, give you rulership over much, all has um, a reference, is relevant for, for that period. Amen. Then it says he's a son of peace, which we discussed. Um, a son of peace, the embodiment of peace. Okay, I want to encourage you to be peaceful. We did a whole segment on peace, remember? A whole series on peaceful relationships and the embodiment of peace. Then he is a son of the day. Right? He's enlightened with true knowledge. He's a son of the light. The U.S. son is a son of the day. He's a son of the light. He's filled with revelation and um, illumination from the word. There's no darkness in the U.S. son. He's a, he's a man full of light. 
right? Full of understanding of the, of the word of the Lord. Then, he's also in Luke 20, verse 36, he's called a son of the resurrection. He's a son of the resurrection. What are you resurrected from if you're resurrected? Death. So if the Bible calls you a son, you be a son, you are a son of the resurrection. It means you've over, you, you have in you the capacity to overcome death. And you have the life, the, 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 the life, the Zoe life of God pulsating in and through your, through your being. Okay? You are not a living soul, but you are life-giving spirit. Right? You're not like the first Adam. You're like the last Adam, Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a living soul, but he was a life-giving spirit. I want to ask you, do you give life? How do you give life? You give life by your speech. The words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Okay? And so it's important, like we started, to have the tongue of the learned so you know how to sustain him who is, who is wary. The series we did on words of our mouth, very, very important. So I want to encourage you, be a life giver by how you speak. Be a life giver. You, you, you impart spirit every time you speak. And your words that you speak are spirit and they are, and they are life. So the first Adam was a living soul, but the last became a life-giving spirit. And the series we did on spirit soul body is very important because now it demands that the you we are son has a mature spirit that is informing his soul, directing his soul, um, that's directing his body, how to live obediently in the context of this earth. Okay? And so it's very important. So then the scripture says, if you read John, John chapter 5 is the most fascinating chapter, if you, if you read the book. Right? They're like key chapters for me, because I'm, I'm focusing in the next segment we're going to deal with after this series. Session 6 of this firstborn sonship is the role of the Holy Spirit to activate mature sonship. The role of the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. We're getting nowhere in sonship without the Holy Ghost. Right? So we're going to discuss some, some aspects in reference to Him. But in John, it says that the Son gives life to men. The Son gives life to whomever He will. Right? He gives life. You are a life distributor. I want to encourage you, if you encounter any situation where there's death, decay, and things are contradicting the purpose and the will of God, you have the power to alter your environment. Hmm? Thamo shared with us that Elijah was a man sent from God. And his servant at one time called him Lord. The Hebrew word is Adon. Literally, Lord Adon means he who is controller of environments. He would change his atmospheres. That's why Elijah could stand before Abe and said, At my what? At my word there will be no rain. What, what, what can Elijah do? Elijah can change the whole environment by the declara- declaration of a, of a word. Right? Now I want to encourage you. Start to, to declare words in your home, over your marriage, over your finances. Don't accept uh, the present status quo. You have the word of God in you. You have... The power of Adon, 
like Elijah, the power to change atmospheres, to change environments. Right? Elijah was so powerful, he changed the environment of the whole economy of a nation. Right? At least start in your home and change that sphere first before you move on to bigger things. Right? Change the landscape of your internal environment. How are you? Because you can't change anything externally unless you yourself internally in your own environment are healthy. Hey? From the position of a mature spirit, you can command external situations. The you or your son gives life to whomever he will and he gives the life of God to a situation by how he speaks. The words I speak, they are what? Spirit and they are life. Everyone say life. Speak life. Tell someone, speak life. Right? Speak life. Don't accept the death, decaying, retrogressing situation that seems to plague you. Right? Begin to alter it by your speech. You know what? If you are now, if you got this, you will have not, no time for murmur and complaint. Right? If ever the Holy Spirit has revealed that to me, the past two weeks, is a spirit of murmur and complaint has gripped some people. And the complaint I taught you is the substitute. Complaint in the soul is the substitute for the groan in the spirit. You can only groan from a spirit. But you can complain and murmur from the soul. So so long as there's complaint in the soul realm, you have no power of groan in the spirit realm. The two are, 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 are... inconsistent with the other right you gotta gotta replace the one for the other and let me just say to you brethren in studying murmur and complaint the, the the in the scripture the consequences are lethal the consequences are spiritually disastrous i training my mind not and and my tongue not to complain even about the most innocuous of things the most mundane of things. I, I train my mind not to even, it must never even, you know what I'm doing? I'm training myself, it must never leave my mouth, my mouth. Because it mustn't even be in my mind in the first place. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The fact that you've released it means it was in you. Now I'm going to get to the place where, Lord, it mustn't even have, the, have a chance to manifest internally. Right? I don't want to stop it in my mind and say, it's in my heart, therefore I must, I, must, I must try and prevent it coming out of my mouth. I don't want to even be there. I want to get to the place in God where I say, oh yeah, there's an opportunity for me to complain. And it faces you every day. Here's an opportunity for me to murmur again. I see it, but I'm a spiritual man. I'm not a soulish man. I'm a spiritual man. I'm the Uweos son. I'm called to give life. But if, if, if I respond soulishly and I go in the realm of complaint and murmur, what am I doing? I'm eroding my spirit man's capacity to alter environments. Right? To change states. Right? And you, you, your spirit man will be all the more poorer if these things continue. All the more poorer. So, put point J there. He's a son of the kingdom. He's a son of peace. He's a son of the day, full of light, illumination. He's the son of the resurrection. And he's the son of the most high. And who remembers in what context that was used? We've discussed this one, so I don't want to go over it again. When are you the son of the most high? When? Luke 6. When you can love your enemies. 
when, when you can forgive, when you've learned how to not let bitterness settle, and you can forgive the, your enemy and love your enemies, then God says, my son. So you prove your maturity by how you love even your greatest enemy. Let me just say this. God will put some enemies in your life to fast track your maturity. Simple. <laughs> so you must simply respond to them appropriately. And you know what God says? Not just my son. God says, you are son of the highest elevations in me. Not son of the kingdom now. Not son of peace. Not son of the day. Not son of light. When you forgive, you are son of what? Most high. Huh? Remember I said to you, each description. So if you are son of peace, means the son is full of peace. If you are son of the kingdom, means you have kingdom mindset and mentality. Right? If you are son of the day, it means you're full of light. If you're son of, 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 of what we... Resurrection means the principle of life pulsates in you. You can change states by your declaration. But now, what does it mean if you are son of the Most High? It means the highest and most maturest um, expressions of God have now come to vest within you. If, in other words, if, if you call a son of the kingdom, if you have kingdom mentality, a son of peace, you embodiment of peace. Now when you call the son of the most high, right, it means you embody the totality of all he represents. I say this to someone, and I say this to you, uh, I think, as well before. When are you most like God? When? When are you most like Him? Okay, you always like Him in various expressions. But when does His likeness in you come to its maximum? It's like, you know those, those things at the, at the, fan, the fun fair where you hit the hammer and like, a, like lights go up? The harder you hit it, depending on the strength of the person. So when does your God barometer and the bell goes off, ding, when do you hit the top? God says, son of the most. Now the son has got like full embodiment of everything I possess. That's him. God can now see himself in you. When does that take place? When you forgive an enemy. It's simple. So God will put some vicious people in your life. Simply to give you an opportunity for you to excel in your uiosness. Hmm? So thank God for your enemies. They were there to fast track your maturity. <laughs> Simple. Huh? Don't, don't, don't despair. And also don't complain about the enemy. That's why the Bible says they speak negatively about you, but you bless. You respond with, with blessing. Remember the verse we read about the, when, we, when we did that component that we are called to inherit the blessing? And Peter says you demonstrate the fact that you are called for a blessing by how you bless. By how you bless others. Amen. So I'm going to bless my enemies left, right and center. Right? They send me a nasty email. I send a blessing email back. Then God stands from the heavens and says, Ah, check my son out. Now I can see myself in him. You are not just my son. You are a son of the highest elevations in me. You are a son of the most high. Not just a son of peace, but you're a son of everything that's high in me. Is now, you know, high speaks of priority. The things that God prioritizes the most, you now start to do it. Brethren, if I can encourage you, wake up tomorrow. Go to bed tonight. Say, God, 
I cry for my maturity. I'm not satisfied. If I continue like this, I'm not going to handle anything of my inheritance in you. I cry out to mature. You know, I was thinking today, um, I, w- I went to the gym. And I chuckled to myself. I was about to start. I did an ab routine workout on all the benches. So I went to the weight section. And I met a, a friend, uh, in fact, someone I taught in Sunday school. So we were having a, a debate about whether we should use pulley machines or dead weights, which is the most effective. So I, I said, no, when you are young, dead weights are more effective. But the older you get, the pulley machines become more attractive. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm just finding for my own personal self, I feel that the system of weights, or of pulleys, are more effective in an older person. But the young people can lift the dead weights. And to have a balance of the two is obviously the best ideal. And so we had the discussion. So and I'm walking, so I'm thinking, where must I go? Must I go for those dumbbells? Or must I go for the pulley machine? <laughs> and there were big chaps all over the place, you know, pumping. And they were in like the dead weight section. And look at the pulley section. And there was another category of men there. <laughs> you know, I was like, Lord, what have you called me to? <laughs> I went for the pulleys. So I was feeling a bit fatigued. Up. My energy levels were low. I don't want to have a hectic workout, etc. And then I chuckled to myself because I thought of, I said, Lord, what scripture can I use to justify my decision? <laughs> and then the Lord said to me, seeing that you are surrounded by such a great cloud <laughs> of these raw, broad, big men, lay aside every weight <laughs> that not so easily beset you and run to the police <laughs> and run your race with patience. So I was thinking, oh Lord, thank you. God's got a sense of humor sometimes. I tell you, he'll speak to you from his word for any circumstance. And you know, know, God, I've discovered, God can humor you from his word. Spirituality is not just being serious all the time. You know, God, and it was like a God, I actually laughed and I smiled to myself. Hey God, you're speaking to me, but you're helping me enjoy this workout. (laughs) Amen. So I want to encourage you. To always listen out, listen out for his, for his voice, and cry out for your maturity, cry out for your growth. If, 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 I, can in, if I can impress upon you something tonight, is leave here discontent with where you are in the spirit, and say, God, I want to grow, right? So. Um, the point I want to make is this. This friend of mine said, uh, so he went to the weight section. <laughs> we just waved each other. No, I'm here. I said, I'm here. You know? And um, in my mind, then I chuckled with another scripture. If we just waved to each other. In my mind, I said to him, no, I've put away childish things. <laughs> you know? And the Spirit again ministered to me. Put, if, if you're going to grow, what did Paul say? When I was a child... Nepios, I spake like a child, I reasoned like one. Let me just say to you, as adults as some of you are here, the thinking is still very childish. The reasoning, the way you put dots together in your mind can be very, very, even for me can be, I can think immaturely on some things. God says your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are 
not my ways as high as the heavens above the earth. My ways and thoughts are, are, are there's like this gap, this chasm between how you are thinking and what I expect of you. And many times I felt like that. But what does the scripture say? It says, Paul says, when I was a child, I did that. But when I became a man, what did I do? I put away, kartageo, remember? To reduce to inactivity. I've literally reduced the, the, the infant mentality in me to almost negligible, to non-existence. And unless, I, I want to implore the house, unless you deliberately and purposefully put away, you are not going to mature. You're not going to mature. And I want to encourage you to literally put away the childish things. Amen? Now, let me just close because of time. There are many other issues we could talk about. The sixth level after the fifth one. I'm, I'm beginning now to categorize these things into seven levels. Before Nepios, there should be Nothos. Remember Nothos? Nothos is the illegitimate son, the spurious, the false son. It talks about it in Hebrews 7. So the son that cannot refuse, cannot receive, disciplined. Hebrews says he's an illegitimate son. So your capacity to receive discipline proves that you are you your son. But if you reject correction, if you say no to correction, you're demonstrating your immaturity. If I correct you on an issue and, and you throw a tantrum, you know, adults can throw tantrums. It's not, maybe not like children, but you, I can see it, right? We're highly discerning. We, we can discern, uh, yes, the son battling to be corrected. But your, your refusal to receive correction demonstrates your inability to mature. Now, let me just give you one or two more verses in reference to that. I slotted these in um, just today, I think, or the other day. In reference to your capacity to mature. This is point E in the notes. E. Where it says the U.S. son is not offended by the discipline of his father. You soon discover who is your sons when you have to correct people. They manifest. Either for the good or for the, for the bad. And you know the sad thing is this. The writer of the book of Hebrews doesn't say he who does not accept correction is Nepios or is Pidon. He says he who doesn't accept correction is illegitimate. He doesn't even rank you as son. He says you are not even on zero. You like negative something on the ruler. You know, you're way your nothos, right? Illegitimate, the word is spurious or a, a false son. And I want you to insert these verses. John 8 verse 47 says the following. He who is, found this verse in John, right? In our reading. Fantastic verse. It says, he who is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you don't hear them because you are not of God. Very frightening scripture, eh? Who hears the words of God? He who is of God. Who rejects the words of God? He who is not of God. Remember the words son of God. It's not just a phrase. The son of God means that the son is of God. Whatever God is, the son is. The son 
is of, comes out from, and has all the characteristics attendant with God, his Father. Now, Jesus says to the Pharisees, let me just inform you, Pharisees, you're not even belonging to God. You don't even, you're not of him. You don't come out from him. In fact, the father, the, the devil is your father, he said later in verse 44, remember? He says, you are just like your father, the, the devil. So when is one not a son? Jesus says the, the distinguishing criteria here is the capacity to receive what I say. Jesus said, if you don't receive what I say, you are not of God. This is the yardstick. Similarly, I would say this. If a spiritual son does not accept correction, he demonstrates he is not of that father. Hmm? But if you, Hebrew says, if you endure correction as a uios, right, you become a what? A par, taker of his holiness. For no correction seems pleasant for the present time, but afterwards it heals forth what? The peaceable fruits of righteousness. Amen? So I want to encourage you to handle correction because part of my role over your life, you know, these are aspects about spiritual fathering many people don't like. And it's the acid test. It's the litmus test. We were subject to great correction at the law school. Some of our senior sons of Apostle Tommy called us up to one session and had to correct certain issues. His opening statements were, because I love you, I have to speak to you like this. And the father disciplines out of love, right? Disciplines out of, out of love, right? Now, so please note that verse in the note, John eight forty seven. Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. Let me just say, even when you, you, you uh, talk to people, don't, don't argue incessantly. Because some people, you argue with them about truth, and the fact that they don't receive it is proof that they're not of God. Don't waste your time sometimes. First right? John 4, 6. Listen carefully. First John, this is in the epistles now. First John 4, 6 says the following. We are from God, and he who knows God listens to us. How's that? We are from God, and he who knows God will listen to us. Who listens? The person who knows God, right? And he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of, of error. Hmm? One last verse, Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Proverbs 12 and verse 1 says the following. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. The Bible uses the word stupid, not me. The Bible calls you stupid if you are reproved and you hate it. You respond negatively to it. And the Bible says you have no spiritual intelligence. You know, a stupid person is a foolish person. And we use the terms fool or stupid to someone that has little intelligence, right? Now, your spiritual intelligence is lacking if someone reproves you and you react negatively to it. But the Bible says, if you love discipline, what do you love? You love knowledge. Right? So correction must, must take place. This is how um, the NLT version frames it. 
the New Living Translation says the following. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Right? Stupid to hate correction. So the seven levels are this. The one extreme, you have nothos, inability to receive correction. Then you have nepios. Then paidon. Then technon. Then neaniskos. Then the level we discussed now, the, the uios. Right? The uios. After the uios, listen carefully, is another level called pate. But the pate level, listen carefully, there's two, two principles or two points you must note here. And I've explained them just briefly um, in your note. Every son has got the capacity to represent his father. Every son. The UEO son can represent his father accurately. Right? So what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the, the father. Right? I am not speaking. The words I speak are my father's. The deeds I do are my father's. Everything about me is representative of the one I called father. That is the UEO son. And to us a son is born... And to us, a child, uh, sorry, a child is born, the son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, what everlasting Father. Backtrack. And to us, a son is given, child is born. And the son born, his name shall be called Everlasting Father. So every son has got a name called Father. Everlasting Father. Right? Uh, and so every son has got, got the, the duty, the privilege, the responsibility to represent his, the name, the identity, and the purpose of his father. Right? And so in your workplace, you must put the nature of your father on display for men to, for men to see. Right? That is good and that is well. And within, above that category, there are some people that are called to spiritual fathering. Now, not everyone is called to be a pate. I'm saying this is the level beyond Uios, but in two respects. The Uios son can represent his father to his world. Right? Put the nature of father on, on display for, for everybody to see. Remember I explained to you, you are the icon of God. Right? People double-click you. <laughs> you, are, you are the icon on God's desktop called creation. When people double-click you, watch it open up. Boom! The nature of Father. Especially when they double-click you the wrong way. Hmm? Right? They rub you up the wrong way. So they revile you, speak ill against you. You just somehow respond with forgiveness. Right? We've discussed all of those things. But beyond that, there are some that are called to father others and watch over the souls of others. Called to function as spiritual, as, as spiritual fathers. Now, in 1 John 2.13, it says... I'm writing to you, fathers, pate, because you know him who was from the from the beginning. Let's see the whole of that verse. Just if you have your Bibles, First John two thirteen. I think you'll find it also under Pydon, under the Pydon notes. I think I've I've listed the entire the entire scripture there. Yes. It's, it's the, actually the first point under Pidon, point A. You'll see the whole scripture. 
I want to draw a distinction just for your information because we are Bible students here and this is an, a, it's a doctrinal class, okay? You're here to be encouraged, but you're here to learn and to learn principles, hermeneutical principles that you can apply in your own study of the Scriptures. Now here's an important thing that you must note. Let's just read this. Right? I'm writing to you little children. That's technion, diminutive of technon. Why? Because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers, pates. Why? Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, neaniskos. Why? Because you have overcome the, the evil one. I'm writing to you children, paidon. Why? Because you know the father. Okay, if you look at the verses, who knows the Father? Two groups of people here. Who are they? And who else? Who else knows the Father in this, in this set of verses? The Father. Right? So, is there a contradiction? No. The distinction is this. If you read it carefully, it says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him. From when? Who was from the beginning? I'm writing to you, Pidon, because you know the, the Father. Remember when we discussed Pidon, we said the child starts to develop intimacy with his father. Beyond his father's capacity to supply his needs. Okay, the, the Nepios simply thinks of my needs, my supply. The Pidon starts to outgrow that and starts to know his, his father. But the fathers, the Pate, not the Pidons, the fathers, it says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him was from the beginning right in other words you have the most complete knowledge of the father right the beginning is from time past from eternity past and you know eternity is not a time related concept eternity simply means the most ancient the most uh, preeminent uh, thoughts ways and of things of the nature of god right and fathers, true spiritual fathers, know to some degree the most ancient ways of God. Hence they can have the privilege of fathering other men's souls. Right? Other men's souls. And so I want to encourage you, I'm just saying that all for your information. But I want to encourage you, you we are sons that are fathered by such a man, can stand alongside him in his fathering disposition. And watch over the souls of men. Right? These are leading brothers. These are elder brothers in the house. Right? That father with the father on behalf. So Paul can send Timothy. Right? To the Philippians and to the Corinthians. I can't come but I will send my, my son. Call him a technon. My son Timothy. When he comes, he will teach you my ways in the spirit as as a father now go to the last few closing statements how can you start to focus on little things to fast track your maturity in god i said develop intimacy with the father right really grow in your relationship with the heavenly father then we also said love the word of god i cannot stress more important how important this is to you, brethren, to love God's word. 
Because Acts 20 says, when Paul said to the Ephesian elders, um, it's in your note there, it says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and give you what? Give you the inheritance. How are you going to access this thing called inheritance? It's going to be through the word of His grace. Then I want to encourage you to live a life of obedience. Everyone say obedience. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Everyone say obeyed. So remember, develop the listening ear. Whatever he tells you, do. So when God calls Abraham, Abraham says, I will do it. I obey by going out to a place which he was to do what? To receive an inheritance. This issue about inheritance only comes to the obedient one. Obey Abraham. So you can receive an inheritance. Love the word. Paul says, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to give you your inheritance. How serious are you about these things? Right. When I see people not in the word, I'm now resigning myself. Maybe I'm putting pressure on myself as well to cajole people. I say, well, some people have resigned their lives to, I'm going to stay at that level for all my life. And I have to back off. The Lord's saying, okay, back off. It's their decision. You've done all that you can. I will not stop encouraging. I will not stop cajoling. A verse that has boomed in my spirit recently was Hebrews 5 or Hebrews 6, I think verse 10, where, Paul, where God says, God is not unjust to forget your labor of love in how you've ministered, how you have ministered to the saints, comma, and still do minister. It's past and present continuous. You have ministered and you still you're still carrying on ministry. He says, God, look at that, and he's not unjust to forget. Listen carefully to the phrasing of it. He's not unjust to forget the love that you've demonstrated to his name. Right? So, how do I as a leader demonstrate my love to his name? Answer? By how I minister to the saints and how I still do minister. A leader's love for God is tested by how he feeds. If you love me, what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. Right? But David said we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. I'm going to say it again. And I want to encourage the house, ascribe to a leading position. A leader's love is demonstrated by how he feeds. Right? So do I love God? Yes or no? You better say yes. <laughs> okay. Right? I'm just joking. <laughs> right? A leader's love is demonstrated by how he feeds. Right? Please, you must note that verse down. It's a very important verse for leaders. Right? Very important verse for leaders. Now, and then so... Develop intimacy with the Father, love the Word, live a life of obedience, love all people. One common thread throughout all the stages is the demand to love. If you can perfect love, you can perfect God. And then prioritize the welfare of your brothers. Okay, I'm just rushing through um, because of time. I'll, I'll complete more of these things on Sunday. Develop, show concern for the welfare of others. You know, the, the one thing about a firstborn son He's given responsibility 
over others in his father's absence. The welfare of his siblings becomes his priority. And you demonstrate the fact that you are indeed firstborn by how you care and you're concerned for the welfare of the others. Not just your select group. I'm talking about the welfare of the entirety of the house. Start to exhibit care. Um, I was so overwhelmed by the Joseph exhortation that I gave you recently. If ever the Lord encouraged me this week, it was with that verse of Scripture as well. God knew that I needed it as well. Right? In prison, he interprets the butler's dream. And the butler is restored as the chief baker. He interprets somebody else's dream when his own dream lies unfulfilled. He had no fruit in terms of his prophetic destiny. But he brought fruit to somebody else's destiny, even while there was no movement in terms of his own, the purpose of God attendant with his own life. In prison, Nochal, he demonstrates concern for the welfare of other prisoners, putting his own destiny on hold. But when he, when he used prophetic discernment and dream interpretation to, to give sight and clarity to the purposes of God in the butler, when the butler was restored before he left the prison, what did Joseph say to him? He says, when, you, when, when Pharaoh restores you, please mention him. I like the New American Standard. It says, please mention me to Pharaoh. Very next verse says, and the butler forgot him. How must Joseph feel? These guys just use me here in this prison. They have hectic dreams. They call me to interpret. I pray. It's fulfilled. They go out. Their destinies are rolling. Yeah, I'm stuck. You know what I think? I think he still carried on with the ministry of dream interpretation in the prison. He did not allow the fact that there was no fruit happening in his own life to stop and to uh, no bitterness, no hatred, no unforgiveness, uh, no depression allowed him. That's why the Bible says God is not unjust to forget the love that you've demonstrated to his name in how you've ministered to the saints and still do minister repeat after me and still do if i were you this point says express welfare for others one of the ways you can express your welfare for the others in the house is by the gift of exhortation. Encourage. That's what the Bible says. Encourage one another while it is called today. Right? Express concern for your brother. The welfare of the house. You know? One, 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 one person's plight in the house. The Bible says when someone's grieving and is in pain, the whole house should reek. Right? I want to encourage you, develop these things. You see, these are practical things by which you outwork the fact that indeed you are mature. And then inheritance is... You see, God says, firstborn, you're the head of the family. Act like you're the head. So if you're the head of the family, you, you may not be the father, but you are this you, your son, that has the burden of your father who is concerned about every son, not just the small group in this corner here. Right? So have a concern for the broadness of the house. Are these things too difficult for you, brethren? Are these things too high to attain? Are these things too lofty? Are we misinterpreting the scripture, do you think? Right? Do you think God is unjust to lay this expectation upon us? No. The word is not difficult. The word is now you even in your mouth. Right? 
It's not too hard to obey. I want to encourage you, these things are very, very, very possible in the Lord. Amen? They're indeed possible. You are God's inheritance. Let me just close with Colossians 1. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to you, so qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to God the Father, it says, He has qualified you to share in this inheritance. Um, brethren, you are qualified, positionally qualified. God is waiting for a practical expression of this. You know, you're qualified to share in the inheritance. It says, with the what? With the? With the saints. It's, it's corporate. It's never individualistic. So if ever we're going to come into inheritance, we have to start to think corporately. I'm not going to finish alone. I'm, going, I'm qualified to partake of God's inheritance. It says, with the saints, in light, with the saints. I must have the saints in my worldview. I can't just think me, myself, and I, my family, and nobody else. Right? I've got to think broader than what I'm presently operating by. And I'm telling you, God is no man's debtor. There will come a day when the butler will remember you. And you know, where did the butler remember Joseph? When Pharaoh has his dream, which was of national catastrophe, calamity. Right? Let me just say this. You see the Ukrainian crisis right now, the, 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 the crisis in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas, are national things, global things, not so? Pharaoh's dream was of global import. There was going to be crisis, not just in Egypt, literally the whole world, not so? And here's a man in a prison with something private and domestic, Joseph. Right? God gives the leader national crisis in terms of dream because he knows Joseph is the answer to that. Now, I'm not going to talk about that. All I want to say is this. It's so powerful how God uses global things to work out the destiny of a man in his private world. And when no one of the Egyptian masters could interpret Pharaoh's dream, then the butler says, you know what the butler said to Pharaoh? One version says, he came to Pharaoh and he says, I have sinned gravely in what I have forgotten. Let me just say this. Some people you have blessed and ministered to at critical moments will remember what you have meant to them. And they will mention you to the highest levels of governance in the land. It might not be governors or presidents, but it might be scenarios and contexts in which those individuals will be used to bring release from imprisonment. You know, I like the words of Joseph. He said, mention me to the butler and get me out of this house. Tell your neighbor, get me out of this house. Not this house here. I'm talking about your prison. <laughs> right? Get me out of this. Get me out of this house. You need to be gotten out of an imprisoning situation. And you know, there's so many keys here. All I'm saying is, Joseph's one key was he looked outside of himself and he focused on the needs of others and he ministered to them. He ministered to them. Even from the place of his own deepest personal darkness, he was going, the will of God for his life seems to be going backwards, not just standing still, but he, he has a need. I will use my capacity to minister, to minister. And God ensured that while men forgot that, 
God resurrected that kindness. God is not unjust to forget your love that you have shown to his name and how you minister to the saints and how you even still do minister. Amen? Come, let's pray. I'm not Pastor Mike Abel to, to pray for us. Glad that he's here with us. Pastor Mike Abel is well known for his prayer and intercessory capacity. Abel David, sorry. <laughs> Come, Pastor Abel. Here's the mic. You're such a wonderful father. We love you so much. Abba, what a day we're living in. What a glorious day of revelation. Thank you that the eyes of our understanding are being opened to know the hope of your calling, the riches of this the glorious inheritance in the saints, and this great power that you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead. Father, I thank you tonight for this household of faith. Thank you for the father of this house. I bless him. I commend him to you. I thank you, Father, today that his ministry is such a blessing to the body of Christ. And that's why we've come tonight, because of the grace upon his life. And I thank you, Father. I know that these materials are going to go to the nations of the earth. And so I bless these studies and I thank you, Father, that sons are being raised up in this house that are going to be impacting the nations of the earth. I declare and I speak that in the name of our Lord Jesus, our elder brother. Amen. Amen.